you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Why is teenage alcohol use a problem, other than the fact that it is against the law? For many adults, there's an underlying belief that teenage drinking is a rite of passage, or just a normal aspect of normal teenage rebellion. After all, how can parents tell their teenagers not to drink when they did a bit of partying during the teenage years themselves? When I was a teenager, the cool parents not only allowed their teens to drink, responsibly of course, but also held private parties in their basements, buying beer for their friends. The only sin was drinking and driving, so they made sure there were some designated drivers invited to the parties. Teenage drug use is considered so much more serious to most adults, at least the harder drugs like crack, meth, and LSD. Smoking cigarettes or marijuana, on the other hand, is not that big of a deal to many. And what about vaping? Where do we stand on this new teenage substance fad? Do you see the problem? There can easily be disagreements on what substances are the most destructive or whether experimental use is as bad as serious abuse. But that really doesn't get to the heart of the matter. Wherever you stand as a parent or someone who wants to help teenagers, this podcast will treat all substance use as a heart, mind, and soul problem. Alcohol use as well as all types of mood-enhancing drugs. This doesn't mean that every substance does the same amount of damage to a person's mind and body or that they all carry the same addictive power. Choosing to treat all teenage drug and alcohol use and abuse as a significant problem to be addressed will help make the underlying biblical principles clearer to us. In other words, we should consider all of the following scriptural truths in order to apply them to the particular drug or alcohol problem in a teen's life. Instead of seeing drug and alcohol experimentation as just a rite of passage or normal to our teens, we must use it to dig down deep into their hearts. After all, we should be most interested in the root issues, not just in their outward behavior. Yet just to be extremely clear, we should also be serious about drug and alcohol use so we can prevent potential addiction that will be much harder to break later on. It is not harmless for their bodies or souls. Before we dive into this topic, I want to let you know that much of this content can be found in my newest book called Pursuing a Heart of Wisdom, Counseling Teenagers Biblically, published by Christian Focus for sale in September 2019. So let's talk about the underlying biblical principles that apply to teenage drinking and drug use. We begin with this first truth. Teen alcohol and drug use is a symptom of overall foolishness. Why has Kevin, a 16-year-old, been drinking at high school parties? When asked, he may give you any of these reasons. I succumbed to peer pressure. I was trying to be cool. 
I wanted to see what it was like. I was bored. Or I was just being stupid. Any of these answers lead us to a conversation about wisdom and folly. Proverbs 20 verse 1 states it this way. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Alcohol and drugs have a way of taking advantage of foolish hearts. To put it more precisely, teenage alcohol and drug use reveal a heart that is filled with folly. Consider how foolish all of Kevin's possible reasons for drinking are. Not one of them emanate from wise thinking. While we may understand how easy it is to give in to peer pressure, how boredom tempts us to do stupid things, or how teens want to be popular, there's still a heart problem present. Foolishness in the heart enables us to be easily tempted to use drugs and alcohol. If we believe the truth that teens who are experimenting with drugs and alcohol are fundamentally foolish, it's essential for them to understand why they are foolish in the first place. Folly is not just found in the heart of children, which they grow out of through the years. In Mark 7, Jesus gives us the reason why human beings are foolish. Quote, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Mark 7:26. Foolishness is fueled by our rebellion against Christ's commands. What may begin as childishness and immaturity only remains that way during the teenage years when there is a rejection of God's ways and disobedience to his word. So it's not good enough to just hope our teenagers will grow up and out of their foolish ways. They must be taught to see their alcohol or drug use as a symptom of foolishness that is rooted in a sinful and rebellious heart. Only when teenagers begin to fear the Lord will they seek wisdom rather than folly. Here's a second truth. Drug and alcohol use can become a body problem. What begins as a sinful and foolish desire can quickly become a body-based problem. Now, there are many experts who understand drug and alcohol abuse as only a body or a physiological problem. They believe a uniquely diseased brain is to blame, rejecting the view that alcoholism or drug addiction is a moral problem of any kind. While it is beyond the scope of this podcast to debate whether substance abuse is a disease of the body or a disorder of the heart and soul, we'll stick with what appears to be clear about drug and alcohol use. It does have a clear impact on our body chemistry, especially with long-term use and abuse. Therefore, it is most helpful to view addiction to any substance as a spiritual problem and a body problem. Whatever is the cause or the effect, the body side of things must certainly be taken into account. To ignore the physiological consequences and contributing factors denies the chemical nature and effects of the substances themselves. Lori, a 17-year-old, has confessed to a pretty serious drinking problem even though she claims to have it under control now. What has all that drinking done to Lori's brain chemistry or hormonal balance? Modern medical research has shown us that alcohol is a way of hijacking normal brain pathways, 
creating some level of physiological dependence. Since that is common wisdom, then we can believe that it is harder and harder to quit drinking or using mood-altering drugs over time and use. In other words, Lori has made it more difficult on herself to exercise self-control over her drinking because of bodily changes wrought by her drinking. So are we to tell Lori that it is now impossible for her to ever be free from drugs and alcohol? That has taken the medical research a bit too far, seeing the human as body only, without a changeable mind, heart, and soul. Prolonged drinking does not make her an alcoholic for life, but some level of physical dependence does make it tougher to beat. We do not fully understand how our repeated sinful and foolish choices impacts our bodies or how hormonal and chemical changes in our bodies impact our moral decisions. Yet this is a big reason why we should proactively address even the experimentation with drugs rather than viewing it as a passing folly. Common sense says taking early teen drug and alcohol use seriously will prevent harmful physiological changes and dependence. Even at 17 years old, Lori could already be considered an alcoholic. She must know how hooked her brain is to alcohol, but also have the mindset that her body chemistry can return to a more normal state. Understanding addiction as a soul and body problem keeps our teens from the more hopeless disease model of substance abuse while taking seriously the impact on their changing bodies. Here's a third principle. Teenage drinking and alcohol use can become a life-dominating problem. Let's return to Kevin, our 16-year-old who is also living a double life of sorts. He is active in his youth group and is a top student. He even leads Bible studies and the youth praise team. So why is he drinking at high school parties? Could it be that he was falsely accused just holding the beer for a friend? Possibly. But we'll assume for the moment that Kevin has been drinking quite often, and not just at parties. Unfortunately, what began as just hiding a shameful sin may grow into a life of deception He may end up with two sets of friends, two types of activities, and even two kinds of personalities. How long can Kevin keep it up? When will the worlds collide? Without changes at the heart level and at the doing level, his drinking will become a life-dominating problem. There'll be only one life, one that centers on alcohol and drug use. When drug and alcohol use approaches addiction levels, it is best understood as a life-dominating sin. Picture a hub of a bicycle tire with spokes extending out to the rim. In alcohol addiction, alcohol is the hub of that tire. The spokes are life factors such as school, relationships, family life, hobbies, work, church, etc. As the alcohol use becomes more intense, it begins to impact Kevin's school grades his choice of friends, and his relationship with his parents and siblings. Kevin eventually decreases his church attendance, quits the Bible study and the praise team because he is just too busy, and then avoids his youth director after that. Do you see how alcohol use is dominating his life, all the spokes of that wheel? 
It is dictating his choices and dramatically shaping his lifestyle. Increasingly, he denies that his drinking is really that bad, even convincing himself that it is not really controlling his life. At some point, he will attempt to shut out the Lord and any other Christian who confronts his choice of activities and lifestyle. Recognizing the potential for drug and alcohol use to become life-dominating reveals that something much better must become the hub of that wheel of life. If alcohol use is removed from the center, what will replace it? Well, we'll address this part of the solution later. The point is that the abuse of alcohol or drugs demonstrates what really is operating at the hub is self. Pleasing self is priority one. Self is on the throne of the heart. So it's not just about getting Kevin to choose better friends or start going back to youth group again. It's not even really primarily about stopping his drinking. Seeing how easy it is for sin to dominate our lives shows the power of self, the flesh, to ensnare and control us. When anything reaches the level of life domination, our teen is faced with the fact that Jesus is not the dominating and controlling power of and person in his life. Another biblical principle that is in play here, the truth about bondage and slavery. Rather than seeing that some of our teens are prone to addiction while others are not, God's Word teaches us that bondage is normal to all human beings. Since we are all born sinners, we are all born as slaves to sin. Listen to the words of Jesus from John chapter 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Living in bondage to sin is as normal to the fallen human being as eating, drinking, and even breathing. From the root of that sinful bondage comes the fruit of a particular addiction. Due to growing up in various families, as well as developing different personalities and experiences, each of our teens is prone to a particular addiction more than another. In the end, because of our sinful hearts, any of us can become addicted to just about anything in this life. One of the best biblical analogies of addiction to any substance is the history of the Israelites after they were freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Think about the various responses of God's people to their newfound freedom, as described in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. They often whined and complained, doubting that God would provide for them in the wilderness. Shockingly, many of them actually wanted to go back to Egypt, back into bondage. Then, in a total lack of sanity, they conceived of their hundreds of years in slavery as a time that they just sat around pots of meat, fed, secure, and protected. What were they thinking? Well, quite possibly, they were simply more comfortable in their bondage and totally terrified of freedom. This is the power of bondage and addiction. As a teen's alcohol or drug use rises to a level of addiction, he or she can feel better about being controlled than with being free. 
he or she may even be afraid of being fully delivered from these domineering substances. Sadly, even Christians can return to bondage and be enslaved to addiction, even though we have been set free by the power of Christ. If your teen is a professing Christian, yet is showing signs of being addicted to drugs or alcohol, he or she needs to be reminded that he or she no longer has to be a slave to sin. Relate to your teen Paul's gospel logic in Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now even though we are born in bondage to sin, Christ's death has set us free. Paul finishes his thought in verses 16 to 18. Listen to these. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Ultimately, Christians have been delivered from the bondage and slavery to sin in order to enjoy freedom of being slaves to Jesus and to righteousness. Obedience of the heart comes from being totally bound and committed to lives of righteousness in Christ. And this is exactly what we want out of our teenagers. Next, consider that your teenager has a worship problem. Yet another biblical construct that will be helpful to solve teenage drug and alcohol use and abuse is the truth that we are all born as worshipers. Mac, a 15-year-old, has been experimenting with random drugs for quite some time. When confronted by his parents, he is defensive, claiming not to be addicted. He's just having a little fun. So rather than challenge him to admit that he is enslaved to drugs, we need to get him to think about the nature of his worship. Mac may think he is just goofing around, but he is more serious about his drug use than he is admitting to himself or even to other people. He has moved from foolishness to an infatuation with a drug-induced lifestyle. His idol of pleasure is manifesting in the requirement to worship the false high or the false peace that drugs demand. As Mac's love grows for various types of drugs and the experience they deliver, his love for Christ will fade. So he needs to admit that his natural inclination to worship something has been redirected to false gods. Yet again, the best solution is not just convincing Mac that he needs to stop experimenting with drugs, but rather to recover the right worship of God in his life. He must admit that his drug use is akin to an adulterous affair, cheating on the true love of his life. If he sincerely desires to regain his love for Christ, that longing will give him the strength to fight against the wrong affections that he has. Mac must remember God's love for him and Christ's perfect sacrifice that gave him life in the first place. 
He needs to delight in the Lord once again or for the very first time. Simply put, Jesus and his righteousness has to become worth more than everything else, especially drugs. Teens who are enjoying experimenting with drugs and alcohol may believe that they're also enjoying Christ, but they just can't effectively serve two masters. The more they return to the worship of the one true God, the less they will worship substances that only produce temporary happiness or peace. Here's another familiar biblical principle to apply, the reality of unbiblical thought patterns. As much as it's vital to deal with heart issues like spiritual slavery and worthless false worship, our teen sinful thought patterns must be addressed as well. We literally have to answer the question, what are they thinking? Now, getting into the mind of a teen is not an easy task. Many of them are new into rational thinking and are often more driven by their emotions than by rational thought. And yet their minds need to be renewed so that they will be transformed by the power of the Spirit rather than conform to the Spirit of this world. While teenagers like Mac may appear to be simply driven by the pleasure principle, we need to help them examine their thought life. Even if a teen stops drinking or using drugs for a time, if thought patterns don't change, then it's likely they will return to bad habits. Persistent wrong thinking will produce wrong behavior over time. So what are some of the typical thought patterns of drug users and abusers that could be found in Mac's mind? He could be thinking of himself as a victim, mistreated, bullied by enemies, or misunderstood by parents or friends. Angry, bitter, and resentful thoughts are often quite common in teens who turn to drugs. Also, anxious thoughts could be pervasive when substances are used to seek some sort of peace. Has Mac experienced some recent trauma or loss in his life? He may have developed apathetic thoughts due to the unfairness or misery of this life. Many teens have constant thoughts of potential failure, insecurity, or a fear of being alone that drugs can mask. Finally, Mac may just be full of prideful and arrogant thoughts, thinking he is better than others and in control of his life. As you can tell, there are all sorts of possible thoughts and attitudes that need to be challenged and changed. And then here's a seventh principle. Our teens must learn the biblical process of putting off and putting on. In conjunction with renewing of the mind, a teen who is using drugs or alcohol will need to put off old behaviors and learn to put on new ones. This process is summarized by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. Listen to these words. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Kevin, Lori, and Mac certainly need to put off to stop their illicit drinking and drug use. If they are new creations in Christ, they need to put off all the manners of life that belong to the old self. 
But as was mentioned earlier, if they truly put off these behaviors, what will they put on? What will they start in their place? Understandably, the priority here is often on never doing drugs or drinking in excess again. Yet the change process described in Ephesians includes both mind renewal, our last principle, and the need to put on behaviors consistent with a new self. So again, the question is, what will Kevin, Lori, and Max start doing if they stop doing drugs and drinking alcohol? In order to put on godly alternatives to drug and alcohol use, there are several other areas of life that need to be addressed. Our teens will need to put off relationships that tempt them to wrong behavior and put on new friendships that will encourage righteous behavior. Then any and all activities that are connected to the drinking or drug use must be changed. Going to parties or sporting events or other extracurricular activities may need to be put off, while participation in healthy activities need to be added. Remember how Kevin used to be more involved in youth group, Bible studies, and the praise team? He will need to be encouraged to add those back into his life, not to hide his alcohol use with holy behavior, but to focus his heart and mind on the worship of God instead of the worship of self. Helping your teen to take stock of all his or her free time must include decisions to cut out activities and relationships that are destructive and add in those that lead to godliness. As their minds are being renewed, behavior must be changed as well. Well, now let's briefly run through just a few more essential principles for our topic today. And here's one. Teens experimenting with drugs and alcohol need a heart transformation. The behavior changes that are required to either keep from addiction or to break free from it require a corresponding heart change. As one who has worked in the addictions industry, it often appears that the goal of drug and alcohol recovery experts is to simply help a person cope with the addiction rather than actually overcome it. Certainly a non-believer has no real power to do anything but attempt temporary behavior change and to just survive an addiction. Even a Christian teenager must recognize the power of temptation and the indwelling sin that still exists. Yet for all believers who are ensnared by drug and alcohol use, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the hope of heart and life transformation. This must be the ultimate goal of our counsel and help for teenagers struggling with these unhealthy behaviors. Just saying no to drugs is not enough. We are looking for a total heart change. Because of the cleansing power of Jesus and the work of the Spirit, heart transformation is possible. Christians no longer have to be conformed to this world, but transformed in the likeness of Christ. So we always need to make sure our goal for our teenagers moves beyond simple recovery or coping on to real heart change. And then there's this principle. Our teens also need to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. As much as our teens may think they are in control of their drinking or drug use, we know that as addiction sets in, they end up being led around by the nose. The use and abuse of mind-altering substances can easily turn teens into passive followers 
looking for the next buzz or high in their lives. Instead of running after the things that grow them more into Christ followers, they end up moving in the opposite direction. But where secular counsel may say something like, take charge of your own life rather than letting drugs control you, biblical truth teaches something bigger and better. Rather than being led by our own desires or even taking charge of ourselves, we are to be led by the Spirit of God. While all Christians have been born again in the Spirit, we don't always follow the Spirit as we should, which leaves us vulnerable to being led by the flesh. The Apostle Paul describes the biblical practice that is essential when dealing with drug and alcohol use. This is from Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul follows up on this thought in Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not just some one-time event, but an ongoing work of the Spirit that corresponds with our walking in the Spirit. So our teens can either imbibe alcoholic spirits or drink deeply of the Holy Spirit. Only when they submit to the leadership of the Spirit will they be able to resist the control of drugs and alcohol. Again, the move is from bondage to freedom, from living by the flesh to walking in the Spirit. Finally, a word on perseverance and commitment. It should not be ignored that dealing with teenage drug and alcohol use is a battle that requires spiritual strength and perseverance. If the use of substances is in the very early phases, this last principle may not come into play. Yet as the drug use becomes prolonged and turns more into abuse and addiction, the teen will be in the fight for his or her life. There is a spiritual battle involved as Satan would love to keep Kevin in bondage and leading a double life. The devil longs for our youth to have a form of religion without experiencing any spiritual power. It's an emotional and mental battle for Lori as well against the lies that have been believed and the possible ups and downs of anxiety, anger, and depression. An addiction to drugs and alcohol is also a physical fight for a teen like Mac as the body craves the substances and body chemistry is disrupted. Dealing with any addiction is literally a war for body and soul. Because of this war, biblical obedience in these matters is not easy. We should be compassionate for any teen who is caught in the snare of drugs or alcohol. Yet at the same time, we call them to perseverance and commitment to fight. It's just too easy to give up and return to the slave master. No, we're not telling our teens to just try really hard on their own. As in all the problems of life, they need the grace of God to persevere in the battle. The victory will only come in Christ because he has already won the war for our souls. The commitment to persevere will become extremely necessary when a teen slips up and falls. He or she will need to confess, repent, and get up and 
fight again. Satan and human sinful flesh will speak of giving up and resolving that it is impossible. The grace of God and the power of the Spirit tells our teenagers to endure and persevere, for the battle is ultimately the Lord's. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.